Welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. No one is going to wear or throw a punch for you. No one does it in a boxing ring and no one does it in life. That's a quote from my next guest, Tiffany Cook. To underestimate Tiffany would be a mistake. Under that laid-back Aussie demeanor and infectious giggle of hers lies a weapon of a human being who has bested others in pursuit of the sweet science, otherwise known as boxing. Once a self-professed introvert with a I-could-take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude towards both fitness and her corporate career at the time, Tiff made a spur-of-the-moment decision to join a 12-week boxing challenge that required participants to fight in an actual professional event upon its completion. She effectively turned off cruise control in her life. Frenzied crowds, bright lights, blood spilled on the canvas, the whole nine yards. Having experienced that thrill of the fight, boxing quickly became absolutely everything to Tiff. With her massive commitment to the sport came massive positive change. The courage to launch her own multifaceted business, Tiffany & Co. The confidence to produce and host a highly successful podcast, Roll With The Punches. An ambassadorship with Code 9 Foundation, who provides support for professional first responders and phone operators living with PTSD and other debilitating mental health conditions. But not all change is considered good in the world of boxing, where toughness and grit are each seen as assets and showing weakness of any nature, a threat, not just to your career, but potentially your life in the ring. Boxing, seemingly, had bestowed upon Tiff the gift of courage, courage to confront past childhood trauma long since repressed. But once that emotional Pandora's box was open, would she ever be the same fighter in the ring again? Join Tiff and I as we explore active serendipity, the habits of an individual who is living her extraordinary, and much, much more on this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. Let's jump into it, Tiff, if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Firstly, thank you for taking the time. I know you've got a heap of stuff on, and you seem to just be like a multifaceted individual in general at the moment. Like Just looking through your, your back catalogue of podcasts and the number of kind of professional things you've got linking together to create the brand that is kind of Tiffany and co mm, um, that mm. tongue in cheek. I really like, by the way, too. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I finally uh, didn't mind the spelling of my own name. <laughs> Stop me from getting did, sued. <laughs> did they try and has we had any letters in the mail about that one? No, no. The funny thing was my first fitness client, the person that kind of made me jump into this business He's a lawyer. He's a business lawyer. And I remember saying to him, hey, I really want to call my business Tiffany & Co. And he's like, yeah, awesome. I'm like, no, can I? <laughs> and he's like, absolutely. And a couple of years later, I was talking about it and he goes, yeah, but imagine they'd never win, but imagine the exposure you'd get. And I was like, hang on, were you just setting me up for you to have some work down the track? <laughs> the big legal to be able battle. to represent the case and be like yeah. massive PR campaign. Yeah, but the worst thing was the colour that I always reverted back to when in the in the designs that came back to me with my logo, I really, it was the Tiffany & Co colour. I by, And yeah. not deliberately, but I was like, oh, I really like that colour, but I cannot do that. I cannot <laughs> 
have the name and the colour because they will tear me down. (laughs) (laughs) I guess as long as you don't release, suddenly come out with a jewellery line, you're probably (laughs) going to be cool. That's when the crossing of the lightsabers becomes seriously problematic. Yeah, 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 true. Very true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Tiff, I guess there's various facets of what you've been up to I want to pick into or pick upon. Uh, also, personally, being a little bit of a part-time pugilist myself, loving Muay Thai uh, and, mm. and just having really found that later in life and just loving the rush and adrenaline from it it's great to speak to someone who is uh active in in a combat sport of boxing which you know that is a tough pastime (laughs) at the best of times it certainly is so i want to pick into that too but i guess rather than scripting any of that too much i just kind of like to to start off with maybe you just giving me your journey overview from this kind of from where where Tiff was to where Tiff is now, so from going from that that corporate kind of comfort, comfortable corporate world to this yeah. point of being a boxer and a multifaceted uh, brand that is Tiffany and Co. How did that kind of progression happen? Yeah, I guess when I look back, there's there's a handful of moments or times or things that happened, but there are two really big ones, and that boxing boxing was definitely a huge one, and. You know, when I talk about that, that can go off in so many different rabbit holes. But up until 29, not a fitness person at all and definitely wasn't someone that had thrown any punches at anyone's face before. But I went (laughs) and did a – I went and watched this talk that was presented on resilience and it was upstairs. It was by Paul Taylor. He's now been a guest on my podcast. And he was a former Navy Air Crew officer. He'd done all of the um, interrogation training and all of that. So he was presenting on the stuff that he learned and the neuroscience behind resilience. Downstairs in the gym that he was part owner in, the bo- basement boxing gym, they did a 12-week boxing challenge. And I was just someone that liked attention, as you can imagine, Mike. I, I didn't mind attention. <laughs> but funnily enough... It, I have to, I forget that I have to remind people that the, the Tiffany that I am now is absolutely not the Tiffany I was before. And I'm definitely nothing spectacular, but I was a very quiet, shy person then. And I'm very chatty and loud now. So people kind of, I forget that people just think that that, that is me and who I innately always was. And it definitely wasn't. So I wasn't into fitness. I was very shy and quiet. I worked in corporate my whole life and I didn't even really, like deep down, I didn't really think I was that great at that either. I just kind of took each job and thought, well, until they find out that I'm shit, I'll say yes to this. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll figure it out later because it's really good money. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I jumped into that 12-week boxing challenge and it changed my life in so many ways, so many ways. Uh, but I just remember this 12 weeks, I told everyone, because I'd started to be a bit of a big mouth by then, but I told everyone, I'm going, I'm going to be I'm in this professional fight in 12 weeks and you all got to buy $250 tickets and watch me. So I'd sold a bunch of tickets and a couple of weeks into the training, we have to start learning how to, because I hadn't thrown punches before, except for flailing my arms around, you know, at the, at the little PCYC gym doing fitness boxing classes. Yeah. And I remember we were learning the movement of blocking punches and where to hold our gloves and how to turn our body and how to, you know, how to process that. And, oh, my God, I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't get my eyes open. 
And mm. I found it so confronting that I just thought, I can't believe I've told everyone about this. And now I can't even keep my eyes open. And as soon as this class <laughs> finishes, I'm going to head out to my car and I'm going to have a big, ugly cry about this because this is doing something to my emotions that I'm just not ready for. <laughs> right. And so you was- were, you were in the first onset of training or taking it back a step. So you're doing this 12 week course, which at the end of it, you are actually meant to get in the ring. Yeah. And a quite and a big event. From- so get in the wow. ring and it was going to be aired on Foxtel and television <laughs> oh, cameras. And it's a black tie event and everyone's in suits and, you know, and it's a big auction. So it was, it's all the bells and whistles as if you were a professional fighter going into the ring. Whoa. And you went from a, a fitness background of a very minimal, if yeah. anything, yeah. into this full yeah. steam. Yeah. And what became apparent yeah. to me after this is I had a very fixed mindset growing up. I never did anything that I wasn't already good at. If someone said you should do that because you're good at it, I'd do it because then I'd get all the kudos for being good at something but I never I never did anything that I had to work for but I also don't think I really believed that you could just not be good at something and then learn it you either had it or you didn't I remember training at that PCYC gym and hitting the bags and thinking to myself give anything I'd love it if the trainer would just come up and tap me on the shoulder and say oh you've got it you should you should think about fighting I was waiting to be told that but no I never in my in a million years would I have in a boxing gym gone up to a a coach and said can you teach me to fight because I thought that was I would have been so embarrassed to put myself forward like that so you jumped into this thing you're in this journey you realize very quickly that hitting a bag is very different to someone throwing punches at you and how confronting that is like that is an emotionally defining moment for most humans, right? Realizing yeah. that you are the punching bag. So, how, yeah. so where did you go from there? Oh, well, I guess there were so many lessons and there's so many things that I learned. One of the things that it really, really early on is just because you're good at the training doesn't mean you're going to be good. There's no indication as to whether you're going to be good at the sparring. And just because you're good at the sparring is no indication as to whether you're going to be good in the ring in the competition. So there's these, Mm. you can watch these people and have these expectations. They get completely blown out of the water. And that was true for me because I was, I am so uncoordinated. I was (laughs) not very good and I knew it. And I, well, obviously I knew it because I don't know if I have imposter syndrome like most people anyway. So in my Mm -hmm. mind, I knew it and I believed it that I was the worst person in that boxing gym. I wasn't very good at anything, but I do think that I wasn't, definitely wasn't the only one that thought I was a bit of a train wreck. Because I remember <laughs> we finally did sparring. One of the coaches come and said, is that the first time you've ever sparred? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that was, mm, that was pretty good. You should be proud of yourself. So mm. that was, you know, that, that realisation that, in a different environment, in a different area, things come through. So this, it taught me about this ability to just ignore the inner critic or the inner critic's always there and it doesn't really mean anything. It didn't mean anything that I felt like I wholeheartedly thought I was the worst person in that gym. But I often talk about this as I also wholeheartedly went through that time knowing in the deepest way that I could win that fight and would. 
So it's weird when like, even when I try and explain that, I feel like I can't explain it in a way that makes sense. Like I knew I was going to win, but I also knew that I was the worst person, you know, like it's weird. So there's always these two voices. And that was one thing I learned in there. Mm. Um, first big business lesson I learned at the end of that first fight was, I call it a business lesson. I think it's a life lesson, but it was so clear to me. I remember afterwards watching the fights and just pondering things. And I just remember thinking, oh, wow, six minutes in the boxing ring or for that first fight, it was four and 12 weeks of work discomfort change every like the six, the 12 week ratio to the six minutes of the place of the goal of the destination <laughs> for me that I just went oh oh this is anything in life like if I've got a business goal there's going to be this 12 week to six minute ratio of the work and the destination so for mm. me for a lot of people maybe that's not a, a penny dropping but for me it definitely was Right. So there's this, the, the realization that there's this huge protracted phase of grind that can lead up to a moment that's over super, super quickly. Um, I guess it's like living, you know, those, those years where nothing happens and then in one year, everything happens. And, and that, that kind of you having the real world uh, sense of that happening to you, kind of giving you a different perspective on, I'm really what, what what life is like how life works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as Ooh. you say that, um, you know, I jumped right into boxing then and I did a couple more of those challenges and then I went and fought in the amateurs. And so there was like this two or three year period where it was just the blinkers were on and everything was boxing to the detriment of anything else really. Mm-hmm. So, but what I learned was when I looked back at the rest at my you know, my professional life and my personal life and how I did things and how I progressed. I had progressed enormously as an employee. I, like I went through the phases of disengaged employee, just rocking up to engaged employee, to entrepreneur, business owner, someone that strives out by themselves and goes and gets things done. And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Look at what's changed outside of the boxing ring because of the physical stuff that I'm doing, because it over, it flows out into your life. You can't train your body and become str- strong without training your mind and becoming strong. You can't learn the lessons in one area of your life without them automatically flowing over to the other areas of your life. And for mm-hmm. me, that was powerful. And when I coach people now and, and I bring people into boxing and, and into fitness, that is my underlying sneaky little um, is my plan. You know, it's, it's, I don't really care about your abs, bro. Like I don't care about your abs. I don't care how many macros you eat. What I care about is how you, your relationship with your body and your physiology and your mind and everything, how everything links together. Yeah. Look, as a, as a, I guess I'm a long-term champion of the thinking that everything I've achieved in the boardroom or in any sort of professional context has been largely the product of lessons I learned outside of those environments, yeah. whether they were competing on mountain bikes or doing marathons and stuff that just sucked. But mm-hmm. at the end, I could kind of turn around and feel like, geez, I definitely, I felt a level up after that. Like the challenge was so difficult that, and that cross-pollinating, being able to present yeah. with more confidence and all that sort of things. That's one of the, 
I think one of the fundamental life learnings I've had that I felt so frustrated in later life that that was never really communicated to me through the traditional education syllabus. Like, yes. why did we never learn that as kids? Why was I never compelled to go out and challenge myself? I had to find that challenge and learn that my own way. Maybe you have to, but yeah, that, that was really interesting for me. And it sounds like you kind of went through a similar thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. The other thing is the, um, that kind of imposter syndrome and kind of thinking like, I've either, I'm either Michael Jordan or I'm not. So someone will kind of see that I'm, yeah. I'm awesome or it's just, I can't get to that level. And that being largely untrue. And I also shared the same mindset as you with that. And I, th- I don't know, maybe it was because we both grew up in the golden era of Australian sport and we saw these heroes who just seemed to kind of have it. There was this kind of, there was never this kind of like uh, thought that, well, actually, no, there's a plan B. And plan B is if you work your ass off, if you train every day, if you make routine your life, you can Mm. actually get to the elite of the elite level. Now, you might not be the number one in the world, but you could get to the number, you could be the top five. And the top five is still so much further above the other humans in the entire world that it's not funny. And that is all just down to work. So that's another thing I think is kind of one of the again, a failing of the traditional education system is that I only learned that myself through grinding and doing different stuff. And you mm. probably learned it yourself the same way. So yeah. we've kind of, and we've kind of come back to it full circle, which is yeah. interesting. I feel really lucky that I think that, I think everything came down to self-awareness and I learned that in the boxing ring. I learned that in some in pretty confronting ways, really. Like I learned that at 29, I'd, I'd worn a mask for 29 years that even I thought was me and it wasn't. And so I went on this huge journey of, of understanding who I was and, you know, reconnecting with my emotions and, and, and my thoughts and my, why I do things. And I found, find that that's my superpower now because I'm always assessing what I've done and how I've done it and stepping outside of myself and re-looking at that and, and picking it apart and seeing if it's progress or if it's not, or if it's a was that a reactive thing? Is that positive or are we doing, or is this a coping mechanism? And this happened Mm. in the pandemic. We went into lockdown. I've got two gyms and I'm a trainer. So two gyms that that they they were just about to start turning a profit. They're very new. So they got shut down. My ability to make income got shut down. We got locked inside and I was like, Oh, this is awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I started this podcast and I didn't, so I started this podcast because I was, it kind of evolved. Again, it wasn't planned. I was training the Victorian ambulance paramedics on Zoom. And as a part of their training, I did three sessions or five sessions a week, three I did and a couple of people brought in. And then on Fridays, I did a feel good Friday. And that was designed to be a bit of just a connection and social and, you know, let's have a glass of red and have a laugh. Let's just not be lonely. And within a couple of weeks, that turned into me bringing in, I brought in a friend that was an aromatherapist. I was like, oh, can you talk to about self-care? And then I brought in someone else. And then I did a lineup of six weeks of speakers. And I was like, shit, that's got to be 30 grand's worth of speakers, Australian and international speakers. And these are people in my network. These are people that I know. I was like, God, that's mm. I've got good connections. But it's funny because when I reached out to those people, I remember at first I thinking, gee, I wonder if X, Y, and Z would 
come on to speak to these guys for me. And, you know, I was quite nervous in asking them because uh, I looked up to these people. I followed them for a long time. They're in the space I want to be in, a lot of them. So they were my mentors. And then I started this podcast. So I went from just doing these Zooms to rolling out this podcast all of a sudden. And then these guys were coming onto my podcast. But then all of a sudden, some of these people were phoning me, asking me advice on how to start a podcast. Mm. And, and then I saw that they started interacting with my media that was going out and kind of responding at some of my guests and going, how, how are you getting, how are you getting this? And this, this podcast exploded. And I was like, wow, I didn't, like all I wanted was to get improvement in speaking and to leverage that ability to hopefully network at a higher level, but it all exploded. And it was just because like we said before, before we started before, um, it was, I just took action straight away and I didn't worry about overthinking stuff. I, when I rec- sat down and recorded that first episode, I'd borrowed the gear from a friend. She set it up and goes, just press this, put your headphones on, do that. And it'll record. I got that. <laughs> excited. Yeah. I got that excited because a, on the drive there, I'd thought of the name roll with the punches and I thought it was cool. Yeah, and ripper. B, she'd set me up with these fancy mics and a big ring light. And so I took a selfie through the ring light and which, this is my cover photo on my podcast now, but I had a Danny, Danny Green mural in the background. So, and at this bright, shiny ring light and I kind of just took a selfie and I was like, that's a cool picture. So I got way too excited to keep it to myself. And I told the world that I just recorded my first podcast and look out for it. I had no, and I'm not very IT um, savvy. I had no idea how I was going to get this sound that I'd recorded off this box into Apple. I had no idea <laughs> of that. And I just had to figure it out. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, um, it's getting more straightforward, a lot more straightforward for people who want to start these things. Cause all these uh, like hosting services have popped up, but when you started, it wasn't like you just pressed a button and the podcast would be live and people could just check it out. Right. Like there's, a number of steps to get anything like that. And that's even before you produce it too, right? Go through it and clean it oh, up a bit and all that like sort of stuff. The so. editing software. I've never edited sound. Mm-hmm. I had these two separate voice tracks that I had to put in and chop up and turn into some sort of a file that I can upload somewhere <laughs> in this worldwide web that will eventually find its way into some people's eardrums. <laughs> like, when I think back, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> And I kind of love that. Yeah, I really love being able to look back and go, hey, every single part of what I did and who I connected with and, you know, every single part of that I did myself and that like I have a lot of pride in that because, you know, it was just that ability to figure it out and to do the best I could. Let's, before we go down another path I'd like to discuss with you, let's just stick to boxing for a sec. I think... For an audience who may or may not have ever put on gloves, who might be listening to this, maybe if you can explain, Tiff, why like uh, a petite, intelligent young woman such as yourself. Debatable. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> has, has well decided to throw on the gloves and why you've stuck with something which is considered largely a brutal sport. What, what do you get from it? What does it feel like to, to mm. put on the gloves and get in the ring? Well, I now call it my barometer 
barometer for life. And I go back into the ring now to understand myself and see the progress and work in that level of discomfort. It's important to me that I'm always out of pushing out of my comfort zone because that's where you grow. And if you don't do it regularly, you, you don't do it. You, you know, like we, we will always, we'll always err on the side of comfort in life. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I didn't have the awareness around. I stepped in there. I wanted attention. It was confronting. When I look, it's funny, through certain times, I remember pondering the boxing journey. I was like, why do I do this? I'm never satisfied with my progress. I always, you know, I'm hungry for more, but I, I don't think I'm, in, I never feel like I'm improving. So that 12 week, six minute ratio, that, that was almost the same ratio of positive feelings versus frustration and learning. And, you know, like it's never enough. I think, oh, most, you know, you get this one session where you're like, oh, I was on fire. I just leveled up. Snapping, the sounds good. Bam. Like I just owned (laughs) that session. But there were sessions. I remember at one particular gym, I was sparring a girl. Uh, She was a teammate of mine. She was 10 or 11 years into boxing. She'd won multiple um, state and Australian titles in the amateurs. Very good little boxer. And I was sparring her as a sparring partner. She was slightly heavier than me and a real, yeah, a real hard hitter body shots that, and you know what it's like to wear a body shot. If you're going to get a hard hit, you'd rather it in the face than the body, (laughs) be honest. And that would surprise most people, but body shots, the ones that put, you know, she hit me in the body a couple of times where I felt it in my, the back of my shoulders, like the back of my ribs, pain would shoot. And I was like, Oh, what have you done? Like a bomb going off. Yeah. But I remember a time I sparred her and I got out and I was sitting down afterwards and I was kind of just processing it and really annoyed with myself and frustrated. And coach comes up and said, What's wrong with you? So I was just, just really frustrated, you know, that I never, you know, I just have a big win. She's like, are you serious? No one's ever put pressure on her like that. No one's ever put pressure. And I was new and I was smaller than her and I was way less experienced. And I, and I just looked at me, I said, but this is why this sport is so shit. Like I just sparred the best I've ever sparred and I don't even get to enjoy that because I'm sitting here with my inner critic thinking that I've just... <laughs> not being good like this so this it teaches you i mean i guess it's taught me some really valuable lessons in just ignoring that voice because half the time it's just not right anyway it's not even a voice of reality it's just a voice of whatever the hell is going on in your head which is crazy i really like the the way you articulated it and being sort of a a barometer for your progress because that's what it is right like every time you get into those situations where you go to training and it's kind of like a way to tap into direct feedback without all the bullshit like you know straight away it's like a live wire that you will be told straight away that day that moment where you are in the pecking order of life (laughs) yeah and that's quite confronting in a way but I love it I love driving away from training and just and feeling everything download and start to align with outside of the ring um, what came up for me after a couple of years of the boxing and I was looking at it and going, what, why am I like something in this environment's resonating in a way it never has before. I'm not naturally good at this, but yet I keep coming back and I kind of got really relentlessly curious about what's going on there. But at the same time, I started to kind of have these emotional breakdowns and I started thinking of 
childhood memories that I had not thought of for years that I'd kind of stuff. So I had some childhood trauma. So I was sexually abused for years as a kid and I'd stuff that away and never, ever, ever thought of that again. And then mm-hmm. I started thinking of it and it started coming up. And then the questions that I started asking were things like I had this, like I talked about the mask I wore, I started asking myself, am I like, I'm, I've drawn myself up. I present myself as this strong, fearless, independent. I have the answers. I'm direct, all of these positive traits. And I was like, what if that's not, what if that's not what I am? Like, why is getting a punch in the face not scary to me? And then I started to realize, I know what is scary to me. It is connection and someone getting too close and breaking my trust and abandoning me. All these vulnerabilities are like getting vulnerable is scary to me. Getting punched in the face, not scary. So Mm. I started looking into that deep work. I had three years not competing where I did a lot of therapy around that, you know, around the ability to feel my emotions and to connect with people and to not to, you know, to be edged towards the ability to let myself be vulnerable. And when I, I jumped back in the boxing ring in 2019 after three years of not competing. And I went back to my old coach who is brutal, but fabulous. And (laughs) when I went back and when I did the work for this, I'd, I'd said, I'd had to ask myself the same question, but when I went back to train, I thought, I don't know who I'm going to be in the boxing ring because some of the strengths as a boxer, one of my biggest strengths was I didn't react with emotions. I didn't feel emotions. I went in, I was mechanical. You couldn't see, no one could see what was happening. And I didn't feel what was happening because I was in there doing wow. the thing. So yeah. Wicked so for poker me, face, but like yes. your whole persona was poker. hundred percent. And a lot of it still can be. And, but I've worked on that a lot. So I'd gone in and messed with my emotions and started to dig out underneath and, and have the ability to understand them and feel them and this and that. And I thought, who am I going to be in the boxing ring now? What's going to happen? And it's really funny because I went down and the first time I sparred, I was sparring pretty like a pro boxer and he's pretty strong and he's pretty, and he switches stance. So he's Southpaw and orthodox and doing all this fancy stuff and hits like a freight train. So he hit (laughs) me with an uppercut and I immediately thought that's my nose gone. And he hit me with three more of those uppercuts. But I, for the first time ever, that was the first time I was in the ring and I knew I didn't want to be there at that moment. And I knew that, and I felt, I literally felt like I was standing there naked. Everyone was watching me spar and I felt like my emotions were on my sleeve and everyone could see, oh, Tiff's not handling, Tiff doesn't want to be there. And I didn't. And I had anxiety and I had these feelings. I was like, shit, I have changed things. Like I have changed. And I saw that within my, you know, all that year training and competing, I saw that and felt the changes but it was a question I had to ask when I did the work was you are going to mess with what, like, because what happens inside happens outside. That's the beauty of it. That's why I love it. That's why I like to go back in there and step into that confronting space and go, how do we do your life now? And what's good and what's bad and what's good in the ring and what's good outside of the ring and which one's more important. So it was like, if well, I mess what- with this, that, that it works kind of both ways for you as well. So you yeah. start to change things outside of the ring can have positive or negative effects inside the ring. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So for me, it was a case of, do I mean, do you want to be a, 
a best boxer at, at any cost? Is it actually important to, or do you want to be a healthy human and just want to step in here and test yourself? And it was the option B for me. Like I never, and still now like boxing, my relationship with boxing has changed, but it's more around the getting to who am I, you know, getting to know myself. That's definitely not, I don't look to win competition at the cost of anything. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hold any meaning for me anymore where at once it kind of did, there was this, oh yeah, if I win this fight, I'm the best. Now I'm like, well, no, I just won that fight with that person that probably mm. had a bad day or I just had a good day or a bit of both, but it really doesn't mean anything to me anymore, which is interesting. Yeah. You can kind of take it more for what it is and what it isn't in your life. And it being yeah. kind of an element of the mix of Tiffany rather than yeah. just being everything that defines you and everything you need to do and all consuming. Maybe yeah from in some ways, maybe a healthier, healthier relationship with boxing for a person who is also uh, a business professional and seeking things outside of the ring as well. 100%. So that's cool that you've been able to get to that point with it and still love it and not be at a point where just, I hate it. Like an elite sports person who might never get back in the swimming pool. That sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And so. I, there was also a level of self-care that I had that time around that I never had before. And that was, you could do, I would walk into anything. You could do anything in training to me and I would eat it up at the detriment of my own, you know, health. And that was, that had, that I had a different relationship with that this time around. I remember there was one time I cut my eye sparring and there was just this tiny little deep, but tiny little cut right at the, the corner of my eye. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's so quite deep but you can't really put a stitch there so I was like oh not to do anyway went back to training the next night and my coach was like all right check, check your mouth guard in jump in with John and I was like oh um, so I've got, well, got a gaping wound on my eye and mm, I just wasn't it was the yeah and nobody kind of argues with this trainer really <laughs> except for me <laughs> old school old yeah, school training yeah. methodologies <laughs> yeah which I love which yeah. is why I chose yeah. him because he's amazing but I remember at that point I was like, uh, I got a cut on my eye and he kind of rolled his eyes. He's like, all right, get your gloves on. And he pad worked with me, but he kept hitting me in the face in on the eye. And I got really frustrated and I was like, can I put a head, can I put headgear on? Like, I'm, I don't want you to rip a hole in my eye for the sake of this. Like I've sh like, I, I can be tough when I need to be, need to be tough. But I don't need a scar across my face for the sake of this. This is just boxing. Like, so, and that wasn't there before. That was everything was, you would, I would not argue with anything. Everything was just proving to the outside world that I'm tough enough. But now mm -hmm. I knew I was tough enough and I knew what was important. And I didn't push that extra level when it wasn't required, which I yeah. found interesting. There's, there was like a greater awareness and of self care. Yeah. Like, which, which still needs to be there. Like it's, it is in those punishing kind of sports. It is, I think the mentality can often be to just tuck in the chin and just start eating it no matter what comes at you. And I think that's largely celebrated in a lot of ways because being tough is part of that sport, right? And yeah. the more tough that you show you are, the more it's kind of rewarded and appreciated. But mm. at a certain point, yeah, you kind of do need to look after yourself because at the end of the day, it is only you. It's your brain, it's your body, and all that sort of stuff. Easier said than done, though. When you've signed, when you've signed in the form which says, "I want this trainer," I've stepped up to the plate, 
and then yeah. start putting up your hand and going, oh, by the way, I'm getting hit in the cut eye. <laughs> yeah. So don't kind of, don't, yeah. don't mm. cut my face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can only imagine his look. I can only imagine. <laughs> oh, um, if I could have taken a photo. <laughs> <laughs> I won't keep riffing on boxing too much because I will just talk about that this whole podcast and I will have kind of abandoned the mission of doing epic stuff. So I'm going to switch gears <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so Tiff, one of the things I noticed straight away when I was looking in your back catalog of episodes on your podcast is that you're punching them out like a couple every couple of days. How are you maintaining this, this kind of, uh, I guess, high cadence release strategy of podcasting, but not just that, that and the coaching and the workshops and the boxing, <laughs> how, what's your secret? What are you doing? <laughs> well, I was very fortunate that I started this in lockdown and I'm in Victoria and our lockdown was, was it four months or something of hard lockdown. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was nothing else to focus on. So I, and I didn't <laughs> have a plan. I just, I tried to do two a week, but I kept getting excited and dropping them straight away. So for sometimes I would do four a week. Now I've settled on three a week as a, as a routine. Um, mm -hmm. It's important to me, but the reason it's important to me is A, the podcast itself is growing at a really rapid rate and I love that. But B, that every time I've sat, so within three months, I was getting feedback from my listeners going, wow, your ability to interview has really stepped up. We've, they've seen mm, from now at this cool. point. Yeah. At this point, I was still in like going, I want to get better at this, but I, I don't know what make like, I don't even know what, I don't know what makes it good. I don't know what can make it better. I'm kind of, I'm just doing this thing. I haven't done a course. I haven't asked anyone. I'm not following any instructions. I'm just, I'm just doing it. So then it gets to a point where you do it a few times, you get a little bit comfortable and then you go, Oh, how, how should I do, do better? What do I do? Well, is there a process? Um, so yeah. And it was the, I stated within three months that I had learned more and grown more in three months than any course ever could have. I'd retained information and I'd connected with people. And the funny thing was, and, I, and this is a part of why it means so much to me as well, is that the feedback was, and was that I'm just authentic and open and honest and real. And I don't, wear a mask and I'll say anything and I'll bear my soul on a podcast. And it, I kind of, I found that ironic at first because I was like, it's the polar opposite to what, I've, what I used to be. <laughs> and it's really nice that I could sit in front of a mic and that any bravado, there would have been a little bit of bravado at the start. I, I, I believe it. No, I was pretty okay, but, you know, I wasn't used to being in front of a mic. So there was that bit of like, oh, carry on a bit. And that dropped around, <laughs> that dropped because I do carry on, Mike. I do carry on. <laughs> but that dropped away. <laughs> it dropped away really quickly. And to me, just forgetting there was a mic there and I'm just sitting with one person having a conversation and saying, and people were saying, I, you know, it's really easy to open up to because you are. And I wouldn't connect with people I would never ask people about themselves in real life and I think that was a protective mechanism of I want um, I have a wall up and I don't want anyone to come inside it so I won't impede on on your personal space so I wouldn't ask them and they're 
you, you don't connect with people. So I didn't ever, no one ever knew me. Mm. I didn't even know myself. And it was really beautiful to do this podcast and realize that that was happening. So it was just another reason why the podcast is important to me. It's like, I really love this. It takes a lot of work, a lot of hours. Cause I do the editing. I source the guests. I now am producer for my mentor Craig's podcast. I do one to two episodes a week with him and I source his guests and I do his stuff. And I, so there's a lot of hours, but it means something to me. Uh, and it's made me really structure my time around the other things that I do. So it's the first time, like, it's the first time I've done something where I sit still and I can literally sit still and edit a podcast for 10 hours straight and not move. Nothing else keeps me still. Nothing. Sometimes my phone will go off and I won't even look at it. And trust me, if I'm not editing podcasts, all I'm doing is looking at my damn phone. You know, I'm, I'm always busy. I'm either eating or stuffing around on my phone or training. But this was this thing where I was like, I, I get into flow when I'm editing podcasts because I am, I feel like I am so entrenched in the story and the emotions and somebody else's experience of the world that I can learn from. And I love that or the way that they communicate. I love hearing, like editing that and hearing the way that people describe things. And, you know, there's just so much in the world that we don't know. And now I just know, you know, 115 more hours of it <laughs> from the conversations <laughs> that I've had. Yeah, it's a really great excuse if you have a inherently curious nature mm. and perhaps are a little closed off in some ways, like a little bit introverted. And you've probably been a lot introverted at some parts of your life mm. uh, to just get an excuse to tap into interesting shit, right? <laughs> That's going to make it its own reward. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I don't ever, like I've, I've had guests on that are just mates of mine. Um, I've had guests on that are international. Like I'm dropping Kerwin Ray tomorrow. I nearly died when he said yes. Um, so I've sat with people like him, John Martini, Dave Hughes, Jackie Lambie, like this cross section of people. And sometimes, and I script nothing. And sometimes I just, I just, well, now I trust that I'll just, I'll be curious enough. I actually just want to know about the person. But I did realize, you know, when I had first had people like John Martini on, so he's an international uh, human behavior expert travels the world speaking and I've followed a lot of his stuff. And when he said, yes, I get, I catch myself out thinking, Oh God, what topic am I going to cover? You know, like almost like, Oh, I've got to be an expert and present something. It's like, no, no, this is about, this is roll with the punches. I just want to tell me about yourself. I just trust Mm. that if I ask the right questions, I just want to know about you and I don't want you to present, present the same presentation that you might give at a, you know, a seminar somewhere. Yeah, you, so that is the unique spin that you have is that your relationship with these guests is roll with the punches relationship and not yeah. the, the 10 questions that, that everyone asked this same dude. Like, that's yeah. <laughs> like Jackie Lambie, I was, I loved having her on cause I, cause I laugh cause I'm just a bogan from Tasmania and <laughs> she is just a bogan from Tasmania. I was like, oh, this is great. Two bogans. So I get her on the show and I'm like, so Jackie, I don't, pay any like I'm not into politics at all I don't I don't even follow them I don't even understand them and she's like me either mate <laughs> <laughs> I was like 
I can't believe I got Jackie Lambie on and the first thing I said was, hey, I'm not into politics. <laughs> yeah, and then she agreed with you yeah, of all things. How but, good is that? Yeah, but I, I wasn't going to be able to talk about politics because literally my head's in the sand with a lot of stuff like that. Like I don't, I don't pay attention to it. So I couldn't have a political conversation with anybody. So, <laughs> that was yeah, probably Jackie, the most refreshing... Don't. <laughs> probably the most refreshing conversation she's ever had in an interview uh, yeah <laughs> how good is that yeah so with all those things going on actually before I go to that I'll mention this I think that bit you said about being in the zone when you're editing your podcasts yeah and only really looking at the clock when you realize you're running out of time I think that's one of the the greatest indicators of you doing something that really is your jam, right? When mm. you're not going, oh, how long have I got till this finishes? But you're actually going, I'm running out of time. That's yeah. like one of those, yeah, those, those indicators in life that something's good for you, I believe. Yes. Like that's a yes. really good sign. So that's cool that you found that with this. Yeah. And I have a similar thing. Like I listen through in post-production and then kind of be like, well, the, the afternoon's disappeared. <laughs> and, you know, that's a cool thing because- at the end of it, I've achieved something, but also like I was fully into it and I'm listening back to the story and loving it. So I think that's a really good indicator. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've got the podcast going on, all the other bits and pieces as well, though, because the podcast just in and of itself would be a shit ton of work. How is what's what's the tiff routine to get through that and workshops and other things like are you a big routine person or do you just wing all of this and it all comes together tiff style? I'm really reining that winging it in. Uh, I have, because of my personality. I don't know how you do it. That's insane that you would wing this. I just, you, you're nuts. <laughs> I've winged it quite a bit, uh, but I am pulling it all together. And like, I've only just moved most of my actual personal training clients. I don't have a lot of them now, but I've moved them to like a full day Saturday and one or two around other sessions. So I've moved that to a block of time. I've, I'm trying to block my time for everything and it kind of evolves as I go. But if I don't do that, I'll burn out really quickly because I just, yeah. I just, yeah, like when you're cutting from one mindset to another and it's like leave, sit down, like people don't understand how much work you have to do when you're doing something. And it's it was a big lesson to me when I realised that you can do more hours of something you love and not burn out and less out like personal training i'm a bit energetic so as a personal trainer i'm i'm highly engaging i'm very energetic i'm very you know like especially running classes like i'm just the energy source and that's tiring so and a lot of the training i do is boxing so it's pad work so it's very physical doesn't take much especially if you scatter your sessions throughout the day to be in and out there and back and it doesn't take much. I always had a low threshold of number of clients since I started personal training. I didn't have a high threshold of being able to take a huge amounts of clients um, and capitalize on that. I knew as soon as my energy dropped, I, did, I, I didn't ever just want to be a plot along and be okay. I wanted to give everyone the best experience. So that was a big lesson. And, you know, I've burnt out several times in my life. I've done too much. I've ended and it, and it sends you to a pretty shitty place. So I'm just, I, I go through each week, you know, I got to a point now where it's like no more saying yes, Tiff. Now you can need to learn to manage this workload more efficiently. And then when you can do that, what do you want to, sh- so it's about 
getting to a point, assessing how that's going, doing it better, and then finding out what parts of it you want to change or outsource or move and what parts of it. And the, the interesting thing is, you know, there's a part of me and I always wanted to move away from that when I, even when I started as a trainer, that selling your time for money, that one-on-one stuff. There's, I, I really love a bit of it, but it in terms of the being able to scale yourself and being your whole lifestyle, you know, you have to be there. And when you're sick, like I was sick, I got a cold the other day and so I had to have a COVID test and that happened to fall on my personal training days. So it's like, mm. oh, great. $700 it's cost me to get the sniffles. <laughs> no one, you know, I don't have sick days, <laughs> you know, yeah. and when, and I felt this over the last few years, we you know people want to go on a holiday. Yeah, let's go on a holiday. It'll cost three grand. I'm like, yeah, it costs three grand. It cost me another two grand to have the time off, you know? So there was always this cost, there's always this cost associated with your time. So now my challenge this year is understanding how much, where, where the balance is. If there's a sliding scale of, you know, there's things like the podcast, this takes a period of time. And then over a period of time, there will be a lot of value in it, but that won't, that doesn't come in the weeks that I'm doing the work. There's no, there's, I'm very fortunate that I've had sponsors on board since the second month and I've had them right through up until I think they're booked up until May so I've been very fortunate there, but I mean, if we're going to go on an hourly rate, the sponsorship doesn't really cover much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looks good from the outside. Everyone's like, oh, I want a podcast where I get sponsors. I'm like, yeah, good. You do all the work then. <laughs> do, do the maths on the hours involved and it is, yeah. It's yeah, yeah well. <laughs> but I, I definitely feel, feel still this pull of stop saying yes to the stuff that brings in money now and start in your time is an investment. So we're on that sliding scale of 10% to 100%. Where are we going to place our pin of where we do this amount of work for the money now? And so how much money do I need to A, to live, but B, to reinvest, to grow business? And how much time do I have to invest in the stuff I do now or the stuff that's going to move me into new areas? You know, so I've got a lot of, talks that I'm doing at the moment that's exposure uh, some of them are paid some of them are opportunities to speak to groups I'm really passionate about for free so there's there's all of that juggling and it's quite it's mm. kind of like I feel like I got to a point in life where I became my own parent of my own childish little mind that runs around like throwing spitballs at everything it's like <laughs> hey you can't you know you've got to be really structured you've got to be really disciplined and I've got to, always got to rein myself in. It's really mm. hard when you're in the middle of stuff not to. It's really hard. I was saying to one of my clients this morning, it's really hard to say no. I've got clients knocking on my door. And I, and some of them, I, you know, I, I like the idea of wanting to train you. You sound like a really awesome person. I think we'd have a lot of fun. But I've got to stop saying yes because otherwise I'm going to tip the scales and then we get in a really bad place. Yeah, and then you end up doing these things with an empty tank and suddenly the 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 gloss on them isn't so glossy and they become a chore and it's this kind of manifesting kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of badness (laughs) a hundred percent a hundred percent and it's always that you know where do i want to end up where do i want to go is what i'm 
trying to achieve or is what I'm focusing on right now getting me there? You know, like I just think about income and financial stability and, you know, how much do you need? And then use the rest of your time wisely. Do you spend or have you spent time, Tiff, thinking about like your personal principles and like a, a bigger picture sort of purpose of what you're doing? Are those things that you've consciously sat down and tried to work out so you've got a bit of a North Star when all these things are coming at you and opportunities? Because I feel like you're quite clear whether you whether you would be able to, whether you've done that work consciously or not, you seem very clear on what is aligning with where you want to get bigger picture. Yeah, I've always had a fairly clear indication like I know the general direction that I want to go and I know I'm going there um it's really funny I've some really funny things when you do when you take I have this theory that when you take intentional action on something shit falls into place stuff lands in your lap and it's happened a few times with me where I'm literally I've hung up the phone and gone what the f (laughs) That, you know, that is ludicrous. Now the working for the ambulance was one, was one of those times. Um, Two weeks before I went out with, for breakfast with my friend, who's a nutritionist. She does part-time work for the SES. So she does presenting and speaking and workshops and all the stuff I love around health and teaching. She goes, you need something like that. That's three days a week. So you can still do your own stuff, but then you get to do all the stuff you love, but they all, you know, there's this, plethora of stuff that they're organizing for you and I was like that's awesome I never thought of that so I go home I'm like where would I find one of these jobs and I get on seek and I'm like what's that even called and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm and I didn't really come up with anything but COVID hit and one of my friends who's a paramedic that I'd met through Craig Harper's event that I crew at I'd met her two years ago and she'd put this beautiful post to the paramedics of Victoria in the page, just a message of support to we're in isolation. There's a lot of single people and they work really hard and it's a shitty time. I'm here for you. Like, let's all stay connected. And I just commented on that and said, God, you are such an angel because she's such a beautiful person. And she rang me up and she goes, oh my God, I've got this idea. I'm going to pitch it to Tony, the CEO and get get you like you can be the wellness hub person while we're in lockdown. So 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 that position was created and I just went, what? (laughs) Victoria ambulance that has just happened, you know, and three or four years ago, I've followed Craig Harper for a long time and I've crewed at his events, but three or four years ago, I left, I did a one, one, one one-on-one coaching with him. And when I left that, I said to myself in my own head and say to anyone, cause I'm not that much of a psychopath. I'm a bit of a psychopath, but I was like, I will, <laughs> I will, I will work with that man one day. I will be part of his crew. And he doesn't have a crew. He has one person that he, that, that is a business partner of his and that's it. No one, like even when we crew at his events, it's volunteer, like you can come and help out, but you don't, there's nothing official. Um, so there's really like, it was a silly statement, really, But in October, he phoned me and said, I've got this idea. I want to produce another podcast a week and I'd like you to be co-host and produce it on on my show. And I hung up that phone and went, what (laughs) the hell? 
And now I've just now I've recently been brought on as his senior pod, podcast producer. So I've joined his team and I'm like, I never told anyone. And yeah, I did the work and I stayed around, and I, but I never badgered him and said, Hey, I want, Hey, I want to work for you. Hey, like I remember a year ago thinking to myself, gee, I'd love to go on his podcast. I'd never been on a podcast before. Certainly didn't have one back then, <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, I'd love to go on that one day, one day when I'm good enough. And you know, less than a year later, he's asking me to, to produce it and co-host it. And I just think like it's, you set an intention and you do the work and you get busy and you sort your shit out. No one's going to give you anything, but that's another thing I've learned is no one's going to do it for you. You have to do everything yourself, but you need the people around you. So no one will help you, but you need the relationships. I've done business networking for years. So two, two parts of that years of business networking came through for this podcast. So Part of me goes, I started a podcast, got no idea, you know, there's no reason it should have succeeded. But there's part of me that's done the work for that for years. And one of that is getting out of my comfort zone and networking and speaking to groups, small, large, whatever, when it was really, and it was really out of my comfort zone, you know, before I started that. Oh God, like I would shake speaking to 15 Mm. people for one minute. I would shake and it was atrocious but I did that and I built relationships and those relate so the ability to get comfortable speaking when I'm uncomfortable and just do it anyway I'd I'd worked on that as a skill and those networking relationships you know I've networked and I've I've worked on supporting others and being in a support networks for for years so when it came time to reach out and tell the world I'm doing this thing people are there to support because I've built this support network and I was like well that you know like no one's going to do it for you you have to make noise about it you have to make noise about it the right way but you have to understand that sometimes it feels like no one's gonna that no one cares because no one really does care (laughs) like really deep down the people only care if if it's for them and even when they care when it's not for them, it's because it makes them feel good to care. So there's always this. Mm. That's the human under- experience, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's being okay with that. And it's realizing that also we just view everything in our own little lens. You know, I think yeah. that no one cares. And then, or I think that, you know, I'm doing all this work and it's really hard and, you, you know, oh, it's not really getting any traction. And then, you know, last week I had two people I really look up to, um, reach out to me and say that they, they're like, oh, I'm learning so much from you. You do this really well. I've been watching this. I've been watching that. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, you're watching me and you're <laughs> learning from me. And How that's cool when, that? you know, I, yeah, I ponder that and I'm like, well, imagine all the people watching and learning or what perception other people have on the outside that that's the polar opposite to my inner critic sitting here going, oh, this is such a flop. <laughs> you know, like, which it's not it's like you couldn't ask for better results but still there's that part of you that goes oh, i don't know if this is working <laughs> yeah and that's, that's not why very good I think, at things right and if you stop and think too much like that it can be again like this this doom spiral of, of thought of like geez how are people perceiving me and la 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 and i think <clears throat> one of the the great things going back to the sports thing, especially sports like boxing and that mentality formed of just getting in there and having a crack 
things are moving too fast by that stage for you to give a shit what anyone thinks, right? <laughs> when you're boxing. Yeah. Past a certain, once you're in there, like it's go time. That's so. one of the things that resonated with me in that kind of physical environment. It was like, you are in the ring and you have all of this support, but it's cheer squad. Ain't no one going to wear or throw a punch for you. And mm-hmm. that's kind of life. It's like, yeah, we're here. Yep. Go you. Doesn't hurt them when you drop your guard and get a punch in the face. <laughs> so like they care, but they don't care enough to step in and put their face there. No one's going to step in and go, hang on, don't hit him. Just hit me. Just hit me once instead. No one does that in, in a boxing ring <laughs> and no one does that in life. No one wears the punch for you. Yeah. I, I really liked what you, what you touched on before, which is there's, there's two parts to this. One is you have to accept that you have to do all the work. You've got to do the work. The other thing is you can't succeed without the team. Like you can't do everything, but you've got to do all the work. You need Mm. the team, but you can't rely on them for everything. But if you try and do everything yourself, you're going to burn out and cark it. So it's that kind of balance that you've got to get right, I think, is like your tribe and the amount of work you're actually doing. And if you can get those in a nice, and it'll always switch and move and and shake around. I think Mm. if you can get them in a good equilibrium, that creates this environment to experience what you experience, which is good shit happening, which is like, I call it active serendipity. I've coined it, which is like, I like that. I'm riffing on things. I'm doing good shit and more good shit seems to happen. And and it's what like you read memoirs of, of super amazing people and titans of industry and stuff like this. One commonality I've seen in all of these memoirs is this. I had this moment of luck. And largely what happened to me was down to luck, which is the, the unexplained momentum that it wouldn't have happened unless you were a hardcore going at your dream. Those things just don't pop out and, and they're not from the ether. They, you were in an environment where you could perceive that luck and do something about it. So, yeah, I totally, totally resonates with me what you're talking about. But I think the thing that leads to that luck being found and pursuing it is those first two things you're talking about, getting your ass up and doing the work, yeah. having the peeps you need around you to support the sort of things you want to do. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just managing your emotions in the middle of that. Like mm. I think that's, a, that's an ever-present challenge is, you know, understanding that your emotions and reactions don't, like, they're a bit like that in a critic, they don't always represent reality. You know, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna be triggered. Dodge, yes. Oh, sometimes I'm triggered by things that are that I'll I'll be like, well, don't react to that because you actually really value it a different way. You know, like I might get annoyed that someone hasn't look. Oh, well, they didn't support me like this, or that. You know, I expect more from someone. That must mean they don't support. You know, like you tell yourself a story about a situation, but then at the same time, I'm like. I really actually value this situation and it, it's completely logic to me, but I'm emotionally being triggered by something. And that I find mm-hmm. that happens all the time mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. which is kind of annoying, which my emotions were still in lockdown, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't go messing around with them for. <laughs> Once you've opened Pandora's box, Tiff, it's oh, too late now. Yeah, now they're just you all racing the time. around. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're tricky because they will undercut you whenever they can if you're not careful the old emotion like it is it's a tricky balance being tapped into them but also then telling them to shut up sometimes to be able to move forward because they can be dicey like that yeah 
Tiff, I'm going to go into the final section, which is my post-fight interview questions. Just a couple mm. of quick questions I'll throw at you, conscious that I'm taking up quite a bit of time of your day today, but I could just, I feel like I could just talk shit to you all day. So I know, it's been, I've really enjoyed territory. it actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, I noticed on your Insta that you picked up sketching in ISO as a little bit of a hobby. Tell me, tell me about that experience. Oh, mate, who knew? So I bought pencils, I reckon, 15 years ago, and I was like, I want to do an art class one day. I'd love to be able to draw because I've always really, I've found people that can draw. Like, I think it's really inspiring. And I sat down and I started sketching, and I, and the first one I did, I was like, I kind of, kind of look. I pitched, drew a picture of me and my dog. I was like, oh, that kind of looks like me. That's pretty cool. A few people commented, and then I really got into it. So I just sat down and started sketching things, and they got very good, very quickly. And it's an interesting story because it relates to Rain, who's the paramedic that got me the gig. Um, she said to me you should, you should sketch my brother. Now her brother passed away a couple of years ago. I had met her at Craig's event a few months after he passed. So I think it was three months after he passed. He went missing when he was rock climbing in New Zealand, beautiful New Zealand guy covered in those beautiful, what are those mana tattoo? Like, I don't know. Uh, on the face and everything. Yeah, on the face mm -hmm. and just a beautiful soul. So a beautiful guy and he'd gone missing for a long time. And then when they found him, he'd passed, he'd fallen had a fall. Anyway, I didn't know what he looked like. So she said, you should, you should draw him. So I go, all right, cool. Send me some pictures. She sends me these pictures. And obviously he's got this really intricate tattoos all over his face and, and body. And I was like, oh, mm. oh, wow. Like, that's challenging. okay, well, that'll be three years. So I was like, yeah, right. Oh, so I parked that for a bit, but one night, and I don't even know why, but one night I just picked up and I started sketching him and it was six weeks after my first picture and the most amazing sketch came out. Like, I can't believe it. You know, like, and I sketched his whole, you know, the whole picture of his face and the top of his body and everything. And it happened to be the anniversary of him going missing. And I, I felt, I have goosebumps now. I felt when I was drawing it, I was like, I just, I feel something special about this picture. I, I almost feel like it's coming through me. Like, I don't know why I would even pick up and try and draw this really incredibly detailed picture. And I gave it to her as a gift and obviously she was blown away and she goes, oh, I just kind of thought you might pick a part of his tattoo and sketch that. I didn't think you'd sketch the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. My hair's standing on end at the moment. <laughs> I will, I'll crazy. send you. Oh, well, if you go to the page, I think. I saw the one. I saw yeah. it. It's beautiful. Your, your yeah. work for someone who just picked up the hobby. I'm kind of stupefied and a little bit pissed that I can't draw like that. <laughs> Did you draw those elephants in the background? No. I, I <laughs> like One of the things I do because I'm super frustrated creative and I can't draw for shit is I'm always buying artwork because I'm so just appreciative and just bedazzled by the fact that something like that can come out of someone. So I saw your work and I was like, man, that is really good. What There's cool one thing, thing that, that frustrates me. And that's that whole, I picked up a pencil and I just, and I picked up a picture and I just copied it. So I didn't, and I was after a bit like the podcasting after a while, I was like, there must be a way that like, I wonder what the way people draw is. 
because mine looks like crap for the most part. So I kind of just, I lay, I put an out, a bit of an outline and then I lay down the shading and I lay it and I lay it and I lay it. So it looks really ridiculous for quite a while, which means that now that I'm busy, I don't draw, I haven't drawn for a long time now because it needs hours and you need to have the patience to get into flow before it even starts to come together. So you've got to look at this hideous picture for so long and be like, this, this will look better. (laughs) But, um, one thing I, I am jealous of is when I, I followed a lot of art pages and you, they do those little videos that hurry and show you like the progression of them drawing it, you know, how they yep. speed it up. And, and what blows my mind is that it literally, it's like they, they draw the finished product from the start. Whereas I literally, like if you watch me draw, I'm like scribbling quite aggressively and then and then smudging i do a lot of like i smudge it a lot so that's how i do my shading so i scribble and i smudge and i scribble and i smudge and i scribble and i smudge and i'm like this is quite erratic the way that i draw and it blows my mind when i look back and go oh my god look at that i can't believe i drew that that? i used to like it just kind of comes out yeah i would have to look at the image pretending that it was something someone else drew to actually appreciate it. Cause again, that imposter syndrome, you're looking at it for so long. You're like, this can't be good. Cause I drew it. And then I'd come back to it and go, wow, that's kind <laughs> of amazing. If I, if I had looked at that six weeks ago before I'd ever picked up a pencil, I would be telling that person that they were incredibly talented and that I was incredibly jealous. And that's the <laughs> way that I would have to think in order to go, Oh yeah, I can draw. <laughs> Is this is this a segue for you trying to get me to draw a tiff? Yeah, I think <laughs> that you. I th- I'm going to give you a task. I think that oh, you're gonna, I love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd love when to are you actually. Gonna, when are you going to send it to me? When, I want I want you to shoot me through the finished product. Oh, give me a deadline. Give me a week. Give me a okay. week. I'll Ooh, have a crack. Okay. I'll have something for you to look at in a week. I'm excited about this. Oh God! Why did I commit to that? <laughs> yeah, that listeners. Oh, very good. <laughs> Uh, I'll just ask you one more. So, because you've covered so much of the doing epic stuff kind of territory already, but um, you touched on mentorship, which it sounds to me has been really important to you in your journey so far. Um, Maybe if you can just explain to me how you sort of sought mentors or how mentors happen to come into your life and maybe how other people can go about finding a mentor if they don't feel they have one. Yeah. So for me, it's really important. In fact, I would almost say it's my number, it's my number one priority of who I, who I surround myself with. So it's really important that I surround myself with deliberately with the people who drag me up, the people who are where I want to be or, or have the v- values most important who who mm-hmm. value the same things that I value. So you can take a person that's doing it, that's on a similar trajectory, but if they have different values behind the driver, it just doesn't sit with me. So yeah. So having just connecting with it, I find people that if, if I connect with people that are doing great stuff, I feel like a better person. Like I sit down with them and I feel more creative and more inspired and more action oriented when I'm around them. So I make sure that I'm around them. And I think another conversation I've had a lot lately is this idea around when we change and when we grow, 
and this is the not so this is the not so glamorous side of it is we're a product like we're a product of what we do so what we've done in our life the choices we've made every day day after day hour after hour year after year result in us being where we are and who we are and the ecosystem that we live in which is we're kind of a product of who we're around mm-hmm. so if we decide I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be this person that lives in like this, that does this type of stuff and has this type of mindset and idea. Well, we're changing. So we can't sit in this ecosystem anymore. So there has to be some changes that filter through. And some of those can be like, you're going to lose people, people that Mm. you want to support you won't support you and it's not because they're a bad person and it's not because you're a bad person it's because you have new values and new level of growth and things aren't landing the same and there's some of those emotions that I talked about before like you've got to process that and and make a way of have a way of making peace with it you know manage the relationships you can but if you have to let things go, don't don't let that spiral you or hold you back because you will comfort says, well, I don't want to change it. I want to lose what I've already got. You have to let go of what you've already got in order to get where you've been. Mentors are big for me. I, I choose to be around people that kind of intimidate me. I choose to be around <laughs> people that I, de- that I feel like I don't really deserve to be around. And what's mm. funny is there comes a time where all of a sudden, in your head, you realize you you now believe you're the same. So it's like, wow, once I wondered if I could even bloody like converse with this person and ask them questions or lean on them or help ask for advice. Now they feel like a peer that's on my level. Right. And that's just, that's your, just your own sort of idea of yourself. It's your own identity. Well, am I identifying as someone that's not good enough or not in a certain position or not smart or you know and that's cool like yeah i do that a lot i do that very deliberately it it all comes down to change doesn't it like the uncomfortable part and your perception of yourself and then that evolution as you kind of level up from being around these people and seeing perceiving yourself differently holding yourself differently yeah this is the beauty of challenging yourself and having a life in discomfort which i think tiff you really have kind of embraced discomfort, right? <laughs> like you've gone full speed at it. And yeah. that has brought you a lot of uh, a lot of success and a lot of uh, probably a level of self-awareness at this stage in your life that, that few people ever really achieve. So I think that in and of itself is an exciting reason for people to kind of challenge themselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It has been my absolute pleasure, Tiff. I would, as I said, I would talk to you all day if I could. <laughs> Meanwhile, I will, uh, I will schedule in to start my drawing journey. Excellent. I will be eagerly awaiting the results of this, Mike. <laughs> all right. I'm going to get stuck into that. Uh, thank you so much for being part of my podcast. I hope you have an excellent day. Uh, any, any last touches, anything you want to promote or shout out or you're all good? All good, mate. All good. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. 
For the latest Doing Epic Stuff happenings, you can join our newsletter on mailchimp.doingepicstuff.com forward slash subscribe. And for direct inquiries, catch me on mike at doingepicstuff.com. We out.